family's been doing a Bible study this past year, and I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about it. Uh, my wife, uh, for years, has wanted uh, Preston to get into a Bible reading program, and God has answered her prayers in his own very perfect way. When Debbie Short introduced her to the Bible Recap program, we use the YouVersion Bible app every day with the full-year chronological Bible Recap plan for us to both read and then have the verses read to us. Before each book, we would watch a video that would give us a, a recap of what it covers, and then after the verses for the day, we would discuss what happened. Then we got to listen to Tara Lee Cobble from the Bible Recap podcast. This was so much more educational and meaningful than just reading it on her own. She has great insight and understanding of the history and landscape surrounding the Bible. She has traveled extensively to Israel, so she was able to provide context that I have never known before. The insight and clear explanation of the word has really enriched our conversations and brought us together as a family. We love how Preston brings up ideas and thoughts from the study in day-to-day -day situations because he's remembering just what he read. Personally, I know I'm also able to recall passages easier than with other times that I've read through the Bible. God is working through this Bible reading plan, and we highly recommend it to everyone else, from beginners to experienced Bible readers. Thank you. All right. Thank you, praise team. Uh, just want to... Uh, welcome you here this morning if you happen to be here if uh, you're a guest and this is the very first time you've been here uh, if you received a bulletin which the bulletins are on the welcome table as you come in uh, there's an extra additional flap there on the bulletin that we'd sure appreciate you uh, looking at and then filling that out if you could uh, and just leave it in the offering box which is also on the welcome table That'd be great. I'm just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Sure appreciate you being with us. A lot of things going on in the church. First of all, I want to say blessed new year. Okay, let's have a blessed new year. We're sure glad that you could join us. I appreciated one of our brothers this morning pointing out the fact that uh, this is the first day of the week. It's also the first day of the month, and it's also the first day of the new year. So thank you, Paul Hoyce, for uh, reminding us of that. We can celebrate, and uh, what, a, what a good way to start the, start the new year, the new week, and the new month. So uh, those who are young people, if you are uh, in Sunday school, the older kids are not going to be dismissed for Sunday school, but the younger kids are going up, uh, going to their regular classes. So those uh, young people can, I guess, are already dismissed if they're already dismissed. All right. I don't have a lot of other announcements to make other than I want to highlight the fact that next week, right after the service, uh, and part of the service will include our Haiti team bringing an update from their ministry in Haiti. So we're excited to hear from them and look forward to, to that. So those are the only announcements that I have to call to your attention. I did talk to uh, Mark and Mary Bristow. Um, Mary's at home now, so continue to pray for her and a lot of other prayer needs uh, within the congregation. So I'd invite you to join me as we open our time in the Word by praying. Father, here we are on this new year. And I thank you that we can come together as a body of believers to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I truly pray that we would see that you are altogether worthy 
and uh, that we would truly in this year commit ourselves to worshiping you, to bowing down and humbling ourselves and seeking your face for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. I pray now that as we uh, take a little time to, to look ahead, that you would work in our hearts and prepare us for uh, this coming year, and that you would give us the uh, preparation that we need as we look into your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to say that uh, probably what I'm going to say this morning, uh, most of what I'm going to say this morning is probably not new. Okay, so he's not going to be like, oh, wow, that's an aha moment here. Uh, but it's, I think, important stuff for us to, to look at as we think about looking into the new year. I had a friend of mine one time uh, came to me, and uh, he was in, in the house, and he was talking about this, uh, this new diet that he was on, you know. And he was just kind of like, oh, wow, man, I've lost all this weight. I'm on this new diet. I'm, I'm just really, it's really, really, he really juiced up about this new diet that he was on, you know. And I'm thinking, as he told me about the diet, I thought, oh, yuck, I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be on that diet. Uh, and uh, a few weeks later, he confessed that, yeah, that, that, diet, that diet really wasn't working out for him very well, you know. He, he just realized that it wasn't sustainable, you know. It wasn't something he could continue to do for the rest of his life. And as I thought about the first day of the year, you know, most of us are like thinking about, okay, New Year's resolutions, that's kind of a big thing in, in America at least, I don't know if it is around the world, but most of us have made those resolutions, right? Uh, we've decided that there was some diet that we're going to go on, or there's some exercise plan that we're going to get involved in, or there's some, you know... Uh, commitment to, to spiritual disciplines that we're going to embark on that we, we hadn't done before, we just failed the, the last time, and sooner or later, we either regret it or forget it, uh, you know, it just calls it falls by the wayside. Well, this morning, uh, what I want to do is I want to challenge us as we begin 2023 uh, with suggesting, okay, three realistic, I think a realistic resolutions that uh, we can make without regret that I think would be important for living in, uh, as people in a, in a world that is topsy-turvy, a world that's just kind of in, in upheaval, a world that's in conflict, a world that's, that's challenging to us. And so this is not a, a dive into a one major passage of Scripture, which is normally what we do. Okay, we're deviating from our study of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians, ready to launch into uh, to chapter 5. Uh, and so uh, we're going to do that, but not today. So here's the first one. If you have a bulletin, you have an outline, so it's in, it's in your outline. If you don't, that's fine too. We'll hopefully have it up on the screen. But, but the first resolution would be a commitment to knowing God's truth. And you say, well, that's... Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're going to resolve to commit to know God's truth. Because I believe uh, firmly that all of the corruption, all of the, the conflict and the moral confusion in our culture stems ultimately from people's ignorance of and or their ignoring of God and His truth. An intentional, deliberate disobedience to God and his word, or just they don't know about it. And I think it's more the former than the, than the latter. And so I would submit to you that the world's maladies, the things that are plaguing the world today, are, are not primarily physical, that can be cured by an inoculation. They're not primarily rational so that some sort of information will be the cure. No. 
They're spiritual. And spiritual problems require a spiritual transformation. And that spiritual transformation is something that only the Spirit of God can work in people's hearts. Is uh, I was thinking about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, reveals what this, uh, the, the, the mind of man is, is very limited in our understanding of things. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, do we have that up there? No, we don't. Okay, thought we did. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, says this, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So the natural mind doesn't understand that these are spiritual problems. They just think we need to solve the issues, solve it with our own our mind. So what do I mean by knowing the truth? Knowing God's truth, I think, means intellectually understanding it, but also internally embracing it. Okay? And there's two realms in which I think we need to know the truth of God, the truth of God's Word. And the first one has to do with knowing the truth of of right standing with God. What does it mean to be in right standing with God? I believe that only God's, the Word of God teaches that only God's objective truth. We live in an age in which truth is relative, and so uh, I don't want to use that term in confusing you, but relative truth means that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, and you, the, never the two have to meet. But I believe that there is objective truth, and the objective truth of God's Word must be not only inter- understood, but it must be embraced fully. And we need, first of all, to understand that God's objective truth embodied in the person of Jesus can bring us into a right standing with God. In John chapter 1, verse 17, uh, the, the gospel writer says that Jesus, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So stop there. Truth was realized through the person of Jesus. That's how we know the truth. Now, we also have the Bible as the truth, but the Bible testifies to Jesus. Jesus said that in John chapter 5, verse 39. You think that in them, the scriptures, that you have eternal life, he said to the Pharisees. But they, the scriptures, are what testify of me. So he is the embodiment of truth. And why do I say that? Why do I say that we need to embrace the embodiment of truth, Jesus, in order to be in right standing with God? Well, because we're not in right standing with God. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says, Your iniquities, which uh, that's a fancy word. Some of you, what's an iniquity? Uh, Sounds like, you know, some sort of an essential oil or something. But it, 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 it means anything that is contrary to God's word, will, or way. So our commitment to words, wills, and ways that are contrary to God bring a separation between us and God. He says, caused into a separation between your God. And Jesus, as the truth, and is the truth, and he speaks the truth, and fallen human beings are deceived as to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The Bible tells us that their minds are blinded by, by, the, by, the, by the devil. We don't, we don't actually see that. But in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light shining in the darkness. I am the light that reveals the truth so that you can come out of the darkness and eliminate the separation between yourself and God. And Jesus drove this plight of our spiritual separation and his power to eliminate that spiritual separation home to us in a passage of scripture that if you have a Bible or you have a device, I would like you to turn to because this will be the longest camp 
that I make in any passage today, which is in John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, um, Jesus uh, says that our separation and his power to overcome it, in verse 24, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay, so our sins separate us. But unless we believe in Jesus, we will die in our sins, separated from God. Now, that's hard words. And so he goes on in John chapter 8, and I want you to look at verse 31. I'm going to read verses 31 through 36. And Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's offspring, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and let everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Stop right there. Who has committed sin? Uh, who hasn't committed sin? We've all committed sins, which means what? In the essence of who we are, we are slaves of sin. All right? The, the essential nature. Then verse 35, and the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What Jesus says, now I say to the professing, notice in verse 31, he says, therefore Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Now look up at verse 31. In verse 31, he talks about those who had believed in him. And there is a distinction between those who believed in him and those who believed him. It's a difference between mental assent and true belief. Those who believed in Jesus actually were trusting that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the one who is the light of the world who would bring us out of darkness. These to whom he's speaking now in verses 31 and following are those who believed him. Intellectually, they understood that he was saying something important, but they were professing, not truly possessing faith in Christ. And to those people, then and now, Jesus says very important words in verse 31. If you abide in my word, stop there, what does it mean to abide in the word? It means uh, that that the word really takes up residence in our lives and impacts our lives so that we are obedient to the word. That's what it means for, it to, uh, for us to abide in the word. Then we read obedience then is evidence of our allegiance to Christ. Obedience is always evidence of allegiance. It doesn't have to be to Christ, but to anything. I don't know about you, but I have unfortunately received a few notices in the mail that my premiums were coming due. Uh, homeowner's insurance premiums, uh, my auto insurance premiums, and guess what happens to the premiums? They went up. And when I pay the premium, I show allegiance to the company, right? I obey by paying a higher premium. I show through my obedience my allegiance to that company because if I wasn't aligned with that company, I would get another one. Our obedience to Christ, our obedience to God's word is evidence of our allegiance to Christ. 
He says, then you are truly my disciples. If you have the truth, you abide in the word, you do what he says, and you're truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What truth? The truth refers primarily to the embodiment of God's truth, which is Jesus. And the reason I say that is, look at verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now look at verse 36. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So that Jesus, the Son, shall make you free. The Son is the truth who liberates us. He is the embodiment of the truth of God's word. And he is the truth that liberates us from sin, from self, and from Satan. That's what I believe he's trying to say there. And this deliverance comes by means of faith. Verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly. Now, some people, I don't like it when they keep repeating the words. Well, they repeat the words because that emphasizes the point. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So if we're slaves, how do we get free? Jesus is the one who liberates us. How does he liberate us? He says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And through him means through faith, genuine faith, that the Son paid the debt that we owe and rose again, giving us victory over sin and death. That's how we become free, through our faith or our trust in Jesus. Death as the payment for our sin and his resurrection as a proof that we will have victory over sin and death. Now Paul said it in a few other places, and I'm just going to share with these with you and you can write them down and look them up later if you want but in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 he says the Paul says he that is God made him who is Jesus who knew no sin perfect son of God to be sin for us he took upon himself our sin he didn't really become sin he 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 took our sin upon himself that he might die and we might become the righteousness of God in him so we would become righteous Remember our sins separate us from God? But through the Son we can become righteous because He died in our place. If we believe and accept that He did that, that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer hostile towards God. He's no longer hostile towards us. So that we're no longer condemned. We no longer have to suffer judgment. That's Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So if we put our faith or our trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the payment for sin that we deserve and trust that he rose again from the dead conquering sin and death, justifying us, we're delivered. That's knowing the truth. And we're in right standing with God. And that's what, is, you know, this, that, that's what it means. And he says, he who believes, Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. And I'll tell you it again. Because I was a freshman in college before an atheist professor drove this home to me. That Christians believe we have eternal life from the moment we put our faith or our trust in Christ. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He doesn't say, you will have it. You have it. From the moment you trust Christ, 
You're a new creature in Christ and will be for eternity. That's the promise that we need to know this truth in order for there to be true spiritual transformation that affects change in our lives and our culture, then we need to know this truth of right standing before God. And so I ask you, are you one of God's children? Are you free from sin and self and Satan because you're trusting in Jesus' death as the payment you deserve? Because only then will you be free indeed. And if you are, praise God. And if you are not, my plea for you is on the first day of the first month, uh, a week of the first month of the first year of the new year, 2023, become a new creature in Christ. And put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then, and if you have questions about it, come up and see me afterwards, okay? And if, if you know Christ, then the second area in which we need to know the truth is what it means to be right living, have right living before God. <laughs> because right living before God is a function of right standing with God. Okay? If, verse 31, if you abide in my word, it abides in you and you obey, then you are truly my disciples. How do we know if we're a disciple? If we do what God says. That's the evidence. The proof is in the pudding, as my grandma used to say, okay? You know, you can say you make good pudding, but let's taste it, okay? We can say we're a child of God, but let's see it, okay? Let's have some manifestation of it. God's truth expressed in Scripture explains right living that's expected of believers. And uh, I will refer to Romans chapter 12 right now in in verse 1 I urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of God what does he mean by that on the basis of God's mercy that's Romans chapters 1 through 11 okay that he explains the mercy of God I urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world social media through any kind of media through music through whatever cultural do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the, the will of God is whether that's good and acceptable and perfect now that's my rendition of it the words may not be exactly the same as what you're reading on the screen but that's okay it's, I think the essence is there okay Believing minds informed by God's truth will be transformed. If I'm a child of God, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to make me more like the Son of God. And you too. Because that's who we are. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, Contrast that with the fruit of the world. What is it we see in the world today? We don't see love, we see hate, right? We don't, we don't see peace, we see conflict. We don't see patience, we see impatience. I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to uh, you know, write you off, I'm going to do something. 
We don't, we don't see kindness, we see harshness. We don't see self-control, we see self-indulgence. It's all about me. It's what I want. I feel this way, I think I'm this way, I think I'm that way. I, it, and that's what trumps it. In 2023, I pray that we would grasp our true identity in Christ as God's chosen people and give ourselves the living in light of the reality of who we are. Some of you know who uh, Candace Cameron Burr is. Uh, she's an actress. She was uh, made a bunch of Hallmark movies. If you like rom-coms, then you've probably seen her in all these. Uh, uh, this is a romantic comedy for those of, like me who don't really know what rom-com abbreviations, all that stuff is. Anyhow, uh, she was on <clears throat> Hallmark Channel for a while. But she left Hallmark Channel to, to go to another channel uh, where she would make movies and, and be an actress because of her conviction about traditional marriage because she has the audacity to believe that marriage is between a man and woman for life. And so she left. And so her activity reflects her identity as a child of God. And that's my plea for me and for us is that our activity would reflect our identity as, as, as children of God. And I, I say this this morning and my part of my prayer this week has been that these things, these resolutions don't just become like legalistic stuff. Because our response, our, our, our motivation for living the reality of who our identity is in Christ is our relationship with Christ. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, for the love of Christ controls us. Having considered this, that one died for all. Therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. As children of God, we live in light of who we are because of what God has done for us in bringing us into the kingdom. It's the blessedness of being a child of God. We live out of who we are in, in Jesus. Paul said this in, in Colossians chapter 3. And now... As those who have been chosen of God. See, if you're here this morning and you, and you know Jesus, it's because God, in His infinite mercy, chose you to become one of His children. And if you aren't, then He's, he's drawing you to become one of His children. Okay? Now, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, let us put on... Uh-oh. That means we've got to do something. Yeah. It's the Spirit of God using, and using the Word of God to make the Son or the Daughter of God more like the Son of God. Put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has had a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. And above all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ know the truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. It's being who we are, is knowing the truth of right standing and knowing the truth of right living. 
And Jesus said in this passage we're in, in John chapter 8, verse 47, he said this. He says, he who, hear, he who is of God hears the words of God. Those who are of God hear the word of God. What does he mean by hear? Well, he means that we have a cognitive awareness, a mental awareness of the truth. That's why when Mike is talking about the Bible recap, we've got some other listed resources in there for Bible reading programs. To hear the word of God, we must first of all have cognitive acceptance of it. We must get it into our brain. There needs to be this awareness of it in our brain. That's why. So we say, well, you should read the Bible. Because we're legalistic and because we're taking agendas and, and marking you down and thinking that if you read the Bible, you know, whoever checks off the most boxes gets into heaven? No! Because the Scriptures teach us of Christ and they show us how to live for Christ because we have a relationship with Christ. They lead us into a relationship and they help us grow in it. That's why we want to know it. So cognitive awareness, but then there's also this, this correct apprehension, a proper understanding of the truth. I'm, I can just read the words, but if they don't mean anything to me, that doesn't matter. I must apprehend what it means. You see, misunderstanding of, of Scripture leads to a misapplication of Scripture. And then finally, it has to do with an application. It has to do with a conscious application of the truth. So let's reaffirm our commitment to the authority and the sufficiency and the inerrancy and our application of God's truth in 2023. So we must commitment to knowing the truth so that we can live as Paul lived. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I may not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ may now, even as always, be exalted in my body. That'd be a pretty good goal for 2023. That Christ would be exalted in my body. And then, secondly, a consistency in showing God's truth. Okay? See, our allegiance to and our affection to Christ manifests itself at least in at least a couple of ways in relationship to others. Okay? First of all, a love for other believers. And uh, this is uh, John chapter 13. You're in John chapter 8. If you want to go to John chapter 13, uh, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, uh, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So there's this, this call, this commandment, to love one another. That means love other believers. You, disciples, followers of Jesus, are commanded to love one another, and it's not just disciples then, okay? Disciples now, followers of Jesus now, are commanded to love one another, that means other believers, profess, you know, those who are followers of Christ. Now, that's not a new commandment. You can write down Leviticus 19.18. I mean, that's how old it is. <laughs> the new part is, that we are to love one another just as Christ loved us. Uh-oh. Uh, that kind of raises the, raises the stakes. Because that's the self-sacrificial love that he's called us to. Is this self-sacrificing love of one for another. Even as I have loved you. That, 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 that would attest to the reality. If you read John 13, uh, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. 
that you love one another just as I have also loved you. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If we don't have love for one another, then what? What will the world conclude? No, they don't follow Jesus. They're not followers of Jesus. And what is this sacrificial love? You look across the page, maybe a couple of pages in John chapter 15, verses 12 to 13. Jesus says, by this, uh, you know, my, this is my command, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man this than he lay down his life for his friends. Now, most of us are not going to have to physically sacrifice our lives for each other. But he does want us to die to ourselves for the sake of others. To give up, to sacrifice for others. So this looks, and I'm just going to kind of bring it home here a little bit, uh, it looks a little bit like husbands coming home uh, tired uh, from, from their day because, you know, and a lot of you women work too, you're just as tired. <laughs> it's like we come home and think, well, I had a hard day at work. Well, <laughs> what did you do all day? I had a hard day at work. Uh, and so we man up, and uh, if, we, if, we, if we're a, a parent of young children, then we kind of get involved with the kids. If we're not, then we get involved with helping our spouse with the needs that they have or listening to them and, and hearing them. And it means that we're helping to maybe even prepare the meal or clean up the meal after the meal. And maybe even if, if my wife wants to uh, say, well, can we make a quick run to the store? I got some things I need to pick up. We say, um, yeah, it's not really. Okay, yeah, I'm good. And then not belly, I can whine about it along the way. My wife hates taking me shopping. Part of that's on me. It looks a lot like wives, if you're married, uh, supporting your husbands by affirming verbally what this man has done to make your life better. Rather than always reminding him of where he's failed. It looks a lot like parents being willing to release their children into the world. I'm talking about believers now. And say, you know what? Wherever God calls you to be and serve Him, that's good with me. I have a daughter that I thought I would have to visit in uh, some mud hut in some remote part of the world if I ever wanted to see her uh, when, when, you know, when she grew up. Now, maybe she still will be there someday, but right now she's not. But we tried to communicate to our kids, your life is God's life. And where God calls you, that's where you go. And as a parent, that's really hard. Because you just want to be around your kids uh, most of the time. Uh, they don't always want to be around us, but we want to be around them. you know. And it looks a lot like children, young people. It's like, I actually do you know, this sacrificial love. I actually do what dad and mom say without complaining. You know, there's a little song like that, do everything without complaining. That's biblical. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, I think. Uh, you can check me on it. It's in the, that range there. Maybe it's 12, maybe it's 11, maybe it's 16, but it's in that range. Do everything without complaining. I think it's in that range. I'm speaking off the cuff right there. Okay? If, within, our, within our church family, it looks a lot like uh, when Bob was preaching on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, that there's humility. In, in our relationship with others, it's seeing ourselves, not how we see ourselves, but see myself in light of who God is. Oh, notice I said, you chosen and beloved, Paul used that word. So it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of God's children, you know, so you should be impressed by that. 
No. Oh, by the grace of God. I'm just, as the saying goes, one beggar who found bread telling other beggars where to find bread, the living bread, whereby I'm saved by grace through faith. And that's who we all are. If we're children of God, none of us is any better than anyone else. We're only children of God by the grace of God. And we need to see ourselves as undeserving recipients of God's grace and seek to serve Him for it. I think of our brother Ken Taylor. He's always trying to find some way. I mean, he's always around, trying to find some place to serve, some way he can help out, who he can help out. You call him, he'll be there, even if he's got a bazillion things on his own plate. He's there to serve. It means gentleness. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, if you want an anchor point for this. But gentleness. You know, we got a bunch of kids running around here on Wednesday nights. Usually next week we're going to start back up. And it's chaos sometimes. And it means gentleness in dealing with rambunctious young people, whether they're... Uh, preteen or whether they're up in the youth group gentleness and kindness instead of what are you doing knucklehead it's like hey can I sit with you and we can just do this and I I struggle with it because I mean I'm kind of like the hey there's right and wrong no there's black and white and there's no gray and uh, so it's like when I tell you to sit down and be quiet that's what I expect I don't do this count to three thing it's count to one You know, so gentleness and, and this, this gentleness and then patience, you know, that, that doesn't assume the worst and accepts imperfection because we're imperfect too. You know, impatience is pride. And, and I, I know because I'm pretty much an expert uh, and uh, it, it's, it's pride. It's failing to realize that, you know what, I have flaws too. But I don't look at my flaws, I look at your flaws. I'm looking at my life under a telescope, and I'm looking at yours under a microscope. Well, that's convenient. But patience with each other, realizing that, that we're all in process. I remember uh, several, it's been a few months ago now, I called one of the, one of the people in our congregation that was going through some uh, struggles health-wise, and they'd been in and out and had some difficult troubles, and... Uh, just kind of a long, drawn-out thing, and I hadn't really been in contact with him much, once or twice, and then I, I called him on the phone, and I, I talked to him. I said, you know, I'm really sorry I haven't been able to, or I haven't taken the time to call you. And they said, oh, it's no problem. You know, I'm just glad you called. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for praying for me. It was good. Patience. Patience. They're a human being. I'm a human being. We're all imperfect human beings, and that's what God calls us to in the body of Christ. Is humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. That's the, that's the next word. It means enduring for a long time. Okay? You put up with it for a long time. It kind of goes with patience, right? You, you, you put up with somebody's faults for a long time. So all of you punctual people get to endure the kind of uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants people. They kind of show up when, you know, it's kind of like, you know. And here's the deal. In culturally, this varies. Some cultures are much more relational so that being on time is all relative. It's like if I meet somebody along the way and I want to chat with them, though, that's cool, and I'm talking to that person. And the rest of us like, 
11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. That means 10.59. And they're going like, 11? That's kind of when I got ready to go. You know? And those of us who are less organized, having to put up with the, the type A's. You know, all of you alphabetized spice rack people. And you know who you are. And some of you, you know, with your shirts in your closets, you know, they're, they're categorized either by brand name or, you know, color-coded or, uh, you know. And, I mean, my, my, my closet's real easy. It's red, white, and blue, and then alphabetical, according to color. Anybody ever watch MASH? You know, Radar O'Reilly's uh, filing system was a piling system. He knew where stuff was. Nobody else did. That's how some people are. So, some people is. But anyhow, we have to endure. It's long-suffering, enduring with, with each other. And here's why. Now, listen to this. Each of us have patterns. Each of us has particularities. Each of us have practices that cause other people consternation. That drive them nuts. That cause them to have to exercise perseverance with me. But all I look at is the ones that annoy me. So let's look at the ones that I have that annoy others. And learn to be patient and persevere and long-suffering. Our love for other believers is the standard that the world uses to measure whether or not we're children of God. That's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Okay, I'm, I'm just making that up. It's really true. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another, if you're humble, if you're gentle, if you're patient, and if you persevere with each other. We show the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world, and they look and they go, Wow, we let our light shine before men that they might, what, glorify our Father who is in heaven. When we shine the light of Christ through our love for our brothers and sisters, we testify the goodness and grace of God. And then we love our neighbors. That's Jesus commanded us in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. The, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And this also compels the world to, to look at us. Now, who are our neighbors? We get in all that. Who's our neighbor? Well, it's anybody who's around you, okay, pretty much, it's your neighbor, it's your co-worker, it's the store clerk, it's the person on your street, it's the, it's the person that this, this gal on social media I saw, she, she brought in this, in Buffalo, New York, they had a big snowstorm, and she brought in this guy, this homeless person who was freezing to death into her home, that was her neighbor, that's what it means to, to, to love our neighbor, to show God's will. It, it means like when Rhonda had the, the, the clothes for the homeless, raising, getting food, uh, not food, but clothes for the homeless people in the Des Moines area. Yeah, okay, so we bring some clothes. Well, it's helping with the food pantry, the little free food pantry, the Urbandale food pantry. It's also like my neighbors. We were gone one time, and a tree limb fell out of, out of the tree in our yard. I didn't even know it until I got home. My neighbor said, yeah, we came over, the tree limb fell down, we cut it all up, and we took it away. Well, praise God. They were helping out their neighbor. That's what God calls us to. And in, in Titus, the book of Titus, you could go through this interesting study, go through the book of Titus and, and circle every time it says good deeds, good deeds, good deeds, good deeds, good deeds. You see, if we are in right relationship with God, right doctrine and right relationship leads to right conduct. 
have the right doctrine and I have the right relationship, then I'll have the right conduct towards other people. I do good. I, I engage in good deeds so that I can build this goodwill so that I can share good news, which is the third resolution. I want to know the truth. I want to show the truth. And I want to share the truth in 2023 in ways better than I did before. And there are two groups with whom God calls us to communicate the truth. We share the gospel with unbelievers, those who, who don't know the Word of God and they don't know the God of the Word. They don't know Jesus. And that's not their fault necessarily. It's just they don't know that they can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 48, Jesus says this summary, you are witnesses of these things. I like that. You are witnesses. If you are here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and, and, and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you're a child of God, then guess what? You're a witness. Good, bad, or indifferent. We're witnesses of the truth. And, 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 and that's who God calls us. And again, I'd say we're the poor beggars just telling others where to find bread. The bread of life. I have a question for you. In your mind, think of this. Think of the most interesting place or the most beautiful place that you've ever been to. In your mind. Just one. Just one. Now let me ask you. Would you have any problem sharing what it was like to go there with anybody in the world? If you could communicate in their language. I don't think so. I think we'd like, whoa. I love telling people where I love hearing where other people have been, what they've done. But why is it then, when it comes to the fact that we are children of God, we're like, can't share that. I mean, I'm joining you. I'm not just. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm, unless it's you know in the mirror. It's like, what is the problem with telling people? Look, I was a person who was fighting God. I was a person who was playing God, pretending that I didn't need God. And then God opened my eyes to realize that I was a person living in conflict with him, deserving of his judgment and his wrath. But then he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross, and he died on the cross, and he paid the price that I deserve to pay for my sins. And now I have accepted his death as the payment for my sin, believe in his resurrection, and now I'm a child of God. And it's nothing that I did. And I have purpose and meaning in my life now that I never had before. And I have the hope that one day I have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We can share that. And, we, and, and I hope to, I, I want to share that every Sunday. But not just every Sunday, but as in my interactions. And I want to see us be more consistent with sharing that. There's a, there's a, now, there's a lot of people in, at Creekside Church that are, are you know, evangelistic and sharing. Their, uh, there's one particular person that I'm thinking of that, that regularly, on the job, is, is sharing the gospel with coworkers. And is praying with people they come in contact with. And letting people know that they are a child of God and, and inviting them to be one too. That's what it means to be 
the children of God. And that's what my prayer is, that we would become more consistent. And then we share God's truth with believers, not just with unbelievers, but with believers. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these commit to other men, who will, faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Because the word of God is the foundation of our beliefs, but the culture abandons it, forsakes it, and the church fools around with it. I, I, I get so disgusted with the church of Jesus Christ messing with the word of God. If the word God said it, end of story. That's, that's all we need. And so we need to be vigilant to declare the word of God and to defend the word of God. You have your Bibles? You turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because what Paul told Timothy here is just as important for us to hear today. And he said this, I solemnly charge you, 2 Timothy 4, in the, in the presence of of, of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearing of his kingdom, preach the word. You say, yeah, but that's a pastor, and I don't have to preach the word. Hold on. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when men will... Uh, will in they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Yeah, his proclamation was to unbelievers that they might come to know Christ. His proclamation was to believers that they might become more like Christ. Okay? Because God's word is essential for our growth. Somebody said it this morning in the first service, you, you, know, you don't eat one meal a week. But we need to consume the Word of God in order for us to be strong, healthy believers because then we know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live as God's people. Paul said it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Uh, teaching what? Right and wrong. There is a right and wrong. For teaching, so that we know what is right and what is wrong. Because what's right and wrong impacts our perspective and our perspective impacts our practice. Belief determines behavior. Conviction leads to conduct. Perspective to practice. I read this past week uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Kevin M. Young. So what he says must be important. Um, he said, this is his question. Is the church willing to tank its witness by trying, tying itself to anti-transgender ideology? And basically what he's saying is, is the church willing to stick to their guns and say that uh, there, there are two genders because that's going to ruin their witness in the world? Let's open to the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read that uh, God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. Let us make man one race of people, the human race. And let us make them male and female, two genders, male and female. And then in Genesis 2, he brings the male and the female together into marriage, one design for marriage. Case closed. You see, Whenever we seek to elevate a worldly philosophy or an economic theory 
or an educational ideology above the Word of God, it's doomed. None of those trump the, the truth of God's Word. Then God's Word is useful for reproof. It's useful for instruction, but it's also good for reproof. Instructing is telling us what's right and wrong. Reproof is correcting when we're wrong. Um, <clears throat> I get kind of intense at athletic events, especially if my kids are playing. And I was at a ball game one time, and uh, a colleague of mine, a, a brother in Christ, was listening to me, like, like, you know, get into the game and, like, make some probably not, well, they weren't complimentary comments. They were critical comments of certain players and of the officials and this. And he goes, uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure that you should, you know, that's not a very good witness for Christ, what you're doing here. And I went, mm, okay, you're right. You know, correction. Reproof is to correct when we're wrong. So we need instruction to what is right and wrong, and then reproof to correct us when we are wrong. And then <clears throat> he says, um, correction gives us the alternative. Not criticism, but compliments. And all of that works to train us up in righteousness. You know, there's a difference between training and trying. I can try to run a marathon. <laughs> that, that would be a joke. I can try to run around the block. Uh, that, that'd be, that, that wouldn't be quite as impossible, but it would be a stretch. But if I trained for it, and so see, the teaching of the Word of God and the reproof of the Word of God and the correction of the Word of God trains us as we practice these things to be more like the Son of God. Trains us in righteous living through instruction or proof to become it. So here, my, my plea to you is, if you're here this morning and you're listening online or if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, look, apart from Christ, you're a slave of sin, you're a slave of self, and a slave of Satan. And destined for a sentence of eternal condemnation. I don't want that. God himself doesn't want that. And so I implore you to put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross and accept his death as the payment you deserve and let him know that you want him to be your Lord and Master. You're surrendering to him. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, listen to these words of Kevin Van Hooser. The people of God are called to embody the word of God in worship, witness, and wisdom in the world for the glory of God called to embody the Word of God in worship, witness, and wisdom in the world for the glory of God. And I believe that in order for us to fulfill that calling, we need to make a commitment to know the truth. We need to be constant in, in, in showing the truth, and we need to be consistent in sharing the truth. If we're going to be a witness to God, embody the Word in worship, witness, and wisdom in the world. And the, the major truth we want to share with people that we want to know and show and share is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and as we take bread and juice we remember what he did for us as the basis of our salvation and as the basis of our living it's the truth we want to know it's the truth that we want to show it's the truth we want to share and so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior I invite you to take a few moments and to search your heart and get your heart right with God. And as the praise team comes and plays a song, as the Spirit of God moves you, you're free. And we invite you to come either to the back table or to the front table and to take the bread and the juice as a reminder of what we want to know, what we want to show, and what we want to share with a lost and dying world in 2023. Let's pray. Father, give us grace.
to serve you and to honor you. And I pray, dear Father, in 2023 that uh, knowing your truth and showing your truth and sharing your truth don't become burdensome resolutions like the world's resolutions, but that they become the passion of our heart because we're living in response to your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name.